Hey guys, what is up? Welcome to episode number two of Being Famous Podcast. I am your host. My name is Cliff and I appreciate you checking out the podcast. If you're out there listening in the podcast world, please check out my webpage at beingfamouspodcast.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a comment. Facebook and Instagram are at Being Famous Podcast. As a huge fan of the 1980s movie North Shore, I am excited to have John Philbin on the podcast who of course played the character of Turtle. John has also appeared in countless movies like the Return of the Living Dead, Children of the Corn, Grandview USA, the original Point Break where he played the role of Nathaniel, and way too many more to name. Actor, surfer, tsunami survivor, I am stoked to welcome to Being Famous Podcast, John Philbin. John, how you doing today, man? So far, so good. I had a rough yeah. early morning, but now I feel much better. You had a rough early morning. Why is that, John? Can't I can't share that information with you over the over the World Wide Web. I understand that. Have you had your coffee? I've got some right next to me right now. I'm going to have a sip. You're a big coffee guy, are you not? I am. I'm going to try something different during this interview because I did an interview with these really nice people and I asked them to supply me with some really strong coffee. And the first 60 minutes of the interview, I was in a manic coffee rage. And it was so hard. I had to, I couldn't even listen to it. And then Why? at the last 20 minutes, I had mellowed out and I was making sense because the kind of mania that coffee produces in me is unattractive. Do you remember what type of coffee it was? I want some no, of that. I know. No, I don't. Where are you calling from, man? I'm calling you from Los Angeles, California. What part of LA? Playa del Rey. Not familiar with Playa del Rey, but me and my wife love Southern California and have spent quite a bit of time there. She really loves the Malibu and Santa Monica areas, as do I. Within Malibu, John, I really like Topanga Canyon. What's your thoughts on Topanga? It's not for everyone, but I like it. It's kind of hippie-ish, kind of, you know, a little bit grungy, uh, but the views are beautiful and the area itself is quiet. I think it's really cool. I agree. There's, like you said, I mean, this is something about fame. There's a lot of famous people that live up there now. And I think that the reason they live up there is because they want to get away from the Hollywood reaction to fame okay. and more in the Topanga reaction to fame, which is no one's impressed by fame. You know, it's what you do with your fame that can impress someone, but it's still re retained the hippie quality, which I love. I could talk to you all day about Southern California, but let's move on. How'd you get into acting? I started uh, doing some plays in high school and I found that I really got a rush out of the experience of going on stage and working with other actors and I just liked it. I didn't like it more than surfing, but I liked it like I like surfing. It was just really something about it I enjoyed and was willing to work on. I went to college and I actually studied it in college at USC in the Conservatory for Fine Arts. And I did a lot of theater and a lot of classes that were like geared towards being a professional actor. I decided I wanted to give it a shot in Los Angeles. So that's why I went to USC. After I graduated college, I did a two plays in Los Angeles. And after the second play, I had, I acquired a manager that introduced me some professional agents and some auditions. And I started working and I was like, this is awesome. This is a dream come true. I really love this life. So you graduate from college, then you land the role of Amos in Children of the Corn. Tell me about that. Yeah, that's the very first movie I shot. I actually, the first movie I, I auditioned for that I got was the, the second movie I did, which was Grandview USA for Randall Kleiser. While I was waiting and studying to do that role in Grandview USA, I went in on an audition and I got that small part in Children of the Corn. And it was perfect for me because, you know, you can kind of practice in front of the camera. And that was the first movie I ever did was Children of the Corn. 
What was that like? Well, I mean, I had no idea. You know, we're in a hotel out in uh, Sioux City, Iowa. I didn't work very often, but back in those days, they, they'd hire you for like the whole shoot of the film and just you'd work on the days you work. You know, they don't do that anymore. <laughs> so I'm out in yeah. Iowa, you know, researching for my next role. I'm going to like bingo parlors for mentally handicapped challenged people, whatever, because the person I played had some mental disabilities. But I was studying to play that part, which was a big part and kind of a big movie. And the Children of the Corn part, I was like, this won't be that hard for me. But as it turns out, it was like I was in such a daze because I was so scared and like, what the hell am I? I had no idea what I was doing. That it was a really fun experience for me. Super fun to be on a movie set and have a, a little trailer and other actors yeah. and cameras. First time I'd ever made a movie of any kind. You have a small part in Children of the Corn. Your on-air time isn't really extensive, but yet they keep you on the set for the whole time that that movie's shot. That's the way it works? Yeah, that's the way it worked back then. Wow. They don't do that anymore. Now they have to pay you for every day. So now they just bring you in. They really schedule the movie tight. And now they just yeah. bring you in for your work days. That's the way they do it usually now. When I did Tombstone, for example, I have a really small part in it, but I was there from the table read through to the last day of filming, even though I didn't work every day. And same with Point Break. They brought you in for the, me in for the table read through the last day of filming. In a lot of movies now, they'll just bring you in for your part. They've scheduled it so that they don't have to pay the actors, you know, for the week they're there, if they can just pay them for a day to get everything. Certainly makes sense. It allows the studio to save some money, that's for sure. 1984, you do Children of the Corn. Then, like you said, you went on to do Grand View USA. What about that cast, man? I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis, Patrick Swayze, C. Thomas Howe, John Cusack, Jennifer Jason Lee, Joan Cusack. What was that like? For me, that was the first movie I was cast in and the second movie I shot. I was in such a zone for that movie. I, was, I had done so much research and work on it that when I got there, I was in character every time I was on the set. But for me, it was just amazing. I Unfortunately, I couldn't relate to the other characters and actors that if I, when I wasn't in character, I, I, it was just, that's what I had to do to play that role. So I wish I could yeah. go back in time and be me. And then, you know, Cowboy, which is the character's name, you know, I could separate the two and get to know some of the people. But, you know, I kind of got to know them through the character of Cowboy and through that like neutral character I'd be in between my room and the set. And I loved Jamie Lee Curtis. I just fell in love with her. But Tommy Howell is so nice. He's just such a cool dude. And The Outsiders, I just loved that movie. So, you know, Jennifer Jason Lee, I didn't get to, you know, get to work with all those characters, but it was fun to me to look at that cast list and go, look at these fucking actors in this movie, man. It was so cool. Yeah. Any of those guys, John, C. Thomas Howe, Cusack, Joan Cusack, Jennifer Jason Lee, keep in touch with any of those people? All of them, yeah. I mean, I, obviously, you know, Patrick I kept in touch with and then did another movie with. Jennifer Jason Lee I became really good friends with for a long time, even though I haven't talked to her lately, but we spent a lot of time together in the 80s and 90s. And um, C. Thomas Howe I'd see around, you know, a little bit our paths across. I became really good friends with the director of the movie, and that was really cool. Randall Kleiser. Yeah, and we'll talk about him in just a second because I'm interested in talking about him. But after that, you go on to do Return of the Living Dead. You play Chuck. That was an interesting movie, John. What's your thoughts on that movie? Well, I mean, I had I really didn't understand what that director, Dan O'Banna, who wrote and produced it, had in mind. But as it turns out, I mean, I thought, well, I don't really get this as a small little comedy horror movie, and I don't think anyone's going to see it. And I really don't know what I'm doing during this movie or what what's happening around here. But there was an actor's strike at the time, and it's really good to 
to be working as an actor. It's good to work. And my agent was like, Hey, this guy, Dan O'Ban is like a genius. You should, you should work for him and do whatever you can. He's got something special going on. I'm like, okay, but it's just a bunch of kids that I didn't know any of the kids, but I've since become family because like no other movie I've done, we did that movie and I kind of forgot about it for a while. And then someone invited me to a screening of it 20 years later. And there were thousands of people lined up around the block in the rain. It's impossible to design these things and you never know when they are going to happen. And you can't do it intentionally. But sometimes in filmmaking, a bunch of variables will come into play and there'll be a confluence of events and a movie that maybe no one sees in the theater goes on to become, for some reason, to touch a lot of people's lives and become a cult classic where people love it, you know, more than they love any other movie that's going on. And they just, and in the horror genre, that movie holds a very special place. So now it's 30 years later and I'm still going to conventions all around the world where people just want to meet and, and talk to anybody that had anything to do with Return of the Living Dead. And I never in a million years would have suspected that. And I don't think anyone working on the movie would have suspected that. Nobody knows what's going to happen, you know, with a movie or how people are going to react. But maybe that director, Dan O'Bana, had an idea. Because as it turns out, he's just, you know, a genius in film is, or in anything really is an original thinker. And no one had ever mixed the genre of comedy and zombies and punk yeah. rock. He did this thing that no one had ever done before. Now, zombies have become, you know, such a big part of our culture and our film world in film and in TV series. Comedy zombie stuff as well. But back then, it was the first. People have developed a love for it that is impossible to explain, but very where was that movie shot? Uh, Silmar, LA, you know, downtown LA oh, yeah. and studio and Burbank and some locations out in Silmar, you know, out Cy Arc was in the background of one or two shots. I mean, we went all around LA and there was an, it was a beautiful hot summer and there was an actor strike going on. So we were very lucky just to be working. How's it feel to be an actor that's been a part of several cult classics? You know, I don't think about it very often, but when I get depressed or sad or narcissistic or I feel like I don't have anything going on and I'm like I'm a loser and a failure, I'll either have to remind myself of the the odds that I've been in one movie and then that I've been in a movie that became a cult classic. I mean, just the luck. And then I've been right. in a bunch of movies that have be, for some reason become cult classics and affected, you know, the lives of so many people. I then have to write a gratitude list where I'm like, oh my God, I'm so grateful for the experience that I've had, that I'm so grateful for the good luck I've had in this business that I've, you know, tried to do. You know, I just got so lucky, but sometimes I can't always see that. It's good for me to be reminded because that is a pretty amazing. You know, I have a tendency to be focused on, well, what am I doing right now? What have I got? I've got to do this. I've got to do something important right now. You know, I've got with, with what's left with the rest of my life. And I sometimes I lose track of how lucky I've been and how grateful, you know, how cool that yeah. is. You know, it's just cool, but I can't walk. I, don't, I never walk around hanging on hey i did this thing that was cool so that means i'm cool i don't i don't live that way yeah how much do you think age helps with that john i think it's for me it's everything the older i get the more i realize that but i wasn't raised in the entertainment industry you know i didn't start acting till i graduated college so i didn't know anything Mm -hmm. about the business you know i feel so lucky actually because for me i I came from the outside and i was like kind of had some personality issues to begin with that probably made it possible for me to be an actor at all defense mechanisms and you know that let me even be an actor you know coming from the suburbs they didn't serve me 
as an actor in terms of longevity and attitude. So I've made a lot of mistakes. All my mistakes I've made, I made. No one taught me how to do anything. You know, I, mm -hmm. I learned it all myself and made the mistakes the hard way and learned my lessons the hard way. And so as I get older, you go through life. <laughs> the more life experience I have, the more I look, can look back and be grateful for the ones I've had and see clearly mistakes I've made and how I would do things differently. But at the time, I was just... I had no idea what was really, really going on, and I was just going for it. And at what point in your career were you running with George Clooney and Eric Stoltz? Well, I mean, Eric Stoltz was a friend of mine from college. We went to college together at USC, and we did a lot of scene work, and we became really good friends. And so I was part of his life from 1983 to 1998 or something, 95 or something. I mean, for 15 years... 10 years, we were inseparable. So, okay. and he was working, he was a working actor. He's a really successful working actor. We were best friends and we were inseparable. And then George Clooney was never really, I, you know, I just knew someone who knew him. And so I would go over because we were all young actors working in Hollywood in the 80s and 90s. So I would just hang out. I, you know, if I was lucky, I would get to come over and hang out at George's house and, you know, hear about George's life or George would come to a wedding we're all going to. And he had a real group of solid friends that are his friends for life. And I knew some of them. And because I knew some of them, I got to, you know, hang around and watch that trajectory, you know, that career trajectory and, and watch how he handled his fame. And it was yeah. impressive to say the least, you know, he's an amazingly generous, kind, faithful, humble guy who totally gets it and has mm -hmm. used it in a way that is so admirable. I think, you know, he's just such a love. You can't say anything bad about him. He's just not selfish and he's not narcissistic and, you know, he's got everything. He's just awesome. He's just a great guy, you know, yeah. and, and, he just happened to be a great guy and a nice guy that got hugely famous. And then he had to, and he dealt with that so well in his generosity and his loyalty to his friends who maybe didn't have that kind of fortune. Also, what he did with it in terms of the larger world, things he cares about, politics and world and other people. And he's just awesome. Right. Were you and Eric Stoltz able to maintain your friendship through the years? We weren't able to maintain it for a period of time. We're back at it now, but you know, our lives took different paths, diverged for about 10 and for so years and and uh we weren't you know i didn't even talk to him for like 10 years or something but now we do and as we've gotten older you know we just like appreciate things we've shared together and things we're doing now like i really appreciate what he's doing now and he really appreciates what i'm doing now and that's it's fun to communicate with someone you were best friends with in your 20s you know and sure. now you're in your 50 late 50s i am anyway i'll be 60 yeah. pretty soon and i just love you know seeing what he's done choices he's made and what he's done with his life and, and vice yeah. versa. We're back in mutually appreciation club. Is he in Southern California? He's in Ireland, but I mean, he has a house. Really? Wow. He's a director. He, he runs this, he directs TV shows and, and, act, and acts. He acts in films and produces shows and directs shows. And he's, you know, he's married to an Irish woman. He's got kids. He's raising kids. And I fucking lived off that guy for like 10 years. I feel like in places he'd go to movie sets. I wouldn't be working. He would be he goes, Oh, come visit me in Europe. I mean, it, and he was so generous. And I'm like, okay. Cause I'm that kind of guy. Like I will, I would, I would go, Hey, is anyone in your house in New York? He's like, no, go ahead. You can stay there. And I'd be like, okay. And I'd go and hang out in this place in New York, LA. And you know, I think eventually that's the kind of behavior that 
I look back on and I wasn't mature or responsible in terms of, you know, having a perspective of what to do with my life. But that's what I had to do. And I did it. And I had so much fun. And he was so kind and generous. And I really appreciated it. Yeah, I read an article about you, John, where you were quoted as saying something along the lines of every time I see entourage, I cringe because of basically what you're referring to, correct? The Eric Stoltz years. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's why I cringe when I see entourage. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, God, it was, I was having so much fun. But then as I got older, I saw that my opinion is, and this isn't for everyone, this is just my experience. Yeah, I was young and I was having so much fun. And you get in Hollywood, if you're lucky, someone in your tribe, in your pack that you're running with gets a lucky swing or hits the ball out of the park. Now there's millions yeah. of dollars in fame and you, you and, and that person certainly can't trust anyone they haven't known for years. So like, George or like Eric, their friends are their friends and their friends might not be as fortunate They, you know, but if they're, you know, they hit the ball, you know, they've been, sw everyone's swinging away, you know, some people get a lucky punch or not so much lucky. They just perseverance, they fight, they train harder, you know, and they get the knockout. And so they get the, yeah. the rewards and then all the friends get the rewards too. It's a dangerous trap to confuse someone else's problems or someone else's success. I think I had this mentality like, oh, well, we're all of this of this same group. We're on the same class and one person's success is another's. You definitely cannot depend on that or be or feel entitled. So when I see Entourage, some of those characters aren't may, aren't doing their own thing necessarily. As they get older they do, but they're just they just feel like, right. oh, you know, that's not reality. Yeah. Everyone's got to do their, go out into the woods and, you know, make their fire, you know. So back to Return of the Living Dead. That was 1985. You do a few things between 1985 and 1987. And then in 1987, John, unbeknownst to you, you would become a legend with the role of Turtle in North Shore. This is where I wanted to circle back around to Randall Kleiser. You had already worked with him in Grandview, USA. Because you had already worked with him, does that help you land the role of Turtle? Yeah, definitely. I only got the role of Turtle because I had done good work for him in Grandview, USA. Had I not developed an acting, you know, a relationship between a director and an actor and shown him some things that he was like, he will be able to transform into this character. Even though the director at the time, Bill Phelps, could not see it in me. And maybe some mm -hmm. of the executives at, at Universal or th that make these kind, that help in these kind of decisions couldn't see that I could do that. Randall knew I could because he had worked with me in a movie, Grandview, USA, and he was my champion. He got me that part. He goes, listen, I'm telling you, he can do this. And uh, mm -hmm. and so I thank him eternally for having faith in me that I could play that part because I knew I could too, but I couldn't convince anybody else because I auditioned, what, seven times? They're just like, we don't see it. And I was telling my agent, I was like, listen, I know I can do this. I mean, you got to believe me. But I mean, are you supposed to believe some actor who serves, who wants to serve Pipeline saying... I can become this character. There's so much, there's so much riding on casting of a movie. It's like, well, you say you can, but we don't see it. You know, you don't have sure. a proven track record. We don't see the accent. We don't see the hair. We don't see the body. We don't see the character. You know, no matter how many times you audition, if you haven't done the research and you haven't become the character through your, through your work, it's very hard to convince someone that you could do it <laughs> if you had enough time to, to study it. What other actors were up for the role of Turtle? 
I'm not 100% sure. I know they were probably yeah. looking at David Spade. And I'm sure there were, you know, there's the thousands of actors up for every role in Hollywood. There's thousands. So they're looking at blondes and they're looking at comedians. So, you know, I know David Spade. I think it's kind of a, he wanted it. When David Spade hears this interview, he'll be like, I didn't want that part. Or he might be like, right. I want to call John Philbin. I want to talk about that because that really changed my life. I think I speak on behalf of all North Shore fans around the world, John, when I say, thank God, David Spade did not get that gig. That movie would have taken on a whole different direction, a whole different attitude. And yeah, I mean, I just... I can't see it. And I'm sure North Shore fans out there can't see it either. But that's very interesting. I never knew David Spade was up for that role. But I wanted to ask you, when you land that role and you book it, do you remember that day? Oh, yeah. You're the luckiest actor in the world that day. You're just yeah. like, I mean, I don't remember specifically, but I just remember every time I got a job and that job meant more to me than anything besides Point Break. When you get a job that you want, that you really want, that you know, because you can't sleep, you're thinking about it 24-7. It's not like, oh, I finished that project, now I'm moving on. No, you're dreaming about it, thinking about it. You wake up, you're trying not to talk about it. You know, you're like, God, I can't help it. I have to talk about it. When you get the job, you're the luckiest actor in the world. During the filming, did you become close to the cast of North Shore? Oh, yeah. I that In that movie, I just loved Matt Adler became my best friend and still is. Yeah, I love everybody that had anything to do with that movie for the rest of my life. That we we worked so hard and we, you know, and that we got so lucky with that movie, you know, we were, things that came together and the cast, how it gelled. And Randall Kleiser's another obviously kind of a genius when it comes to putting together movies. His, yeah. you know, he's got a great history of making things really work. And so, yeah, I love everybody that had anything to do with that movie for the rest of my life. How long did that take to shoot? I think I was there for six weeks. And then they they took a break and they had to do reshoots and I stayed there because I was I'm just into the North Shore and so but I cut all my hair off and then they came back to do reshoots because they they found the scenes they had to reshoot because they had replaced the female lead and I had already cut all my hair off and you know had gained 20 pounds and I was just living on the North Shore just loving surfing pipeline and when they came back they had to put a wig on me and that was another probably week of, of work of reshoots. What scene do you have a wig on? Uh, I am in a wig in in probably a quarter of the scenes you see there'll be scenes really? like at the airport for example where there'll be one shot where i'm not wearing a wig and it's me from back when we did principal photography talking to matt and then there'll be a shot you know where mia peoples is with me i'm wearing a wig because she was yeah. recast and we had to reshoot that scene so there'll be a cut of me, you know, cut away, show Matt, cut away to me and her. I'm wearing a wig. And I know. Interesting. It's really fun for me to go. Yeah, sure. Wig. I never realized that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that means I, did a good, the hair did a good job then, if you don't know. Yeah, that's funny, man. I never realized that. Were you working out back then, man? You were cut. I was ripped, huh? You were ripped. Well, I was younger. Yeah, you were ripped, man. Yeah, I was working out. Uh, I mean, I wasn't going to the gym. I wasn't, I didn't start going to the gym until I, you know, until we did Point Break and I had to like have a gym body, you know, and they had a trainer for us. We were all going to the gym six days a week for that movie. But back then I was just like, so, you know, here you got this job as an actor. Oh, and by the way, your shirt's going to be off in half your work. You're just going to be in a bathing suit. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm not going to eat anymore and I'm going to do sit-ups and push-ups and and, and run. I mean, that's just being an actor. 
So yeah, sure. yeah, I did whatever it took to get the body I wanted for that character. You did it, man. You achieved it. That's for sure. Thanks, man. But yeah, it's just yeah. You know, being an actor, you want to try to you look like the character, you know, the best you can, whatever that may be. Sure. How much of North Shore was ad-libbed? None of it. I mean, a couple words. None of it. Like, none, of, none of the lines were, I mean, I think I ad-libbed the word spit when we introduced Rick Kane to Pipeline. I mm -hmm. think I just ad-libbed spit. And then I, I might have, I ad-libbed hugging Nia Peoples at the airport after Matt said he was going to leave because I was so sad and I love those people so much. I just went down and hugged her. There wasn't, I, I don't know of any ad libs in the movie besides those two from me. And, you know, not that other characters weren't ad libbing, but the script was so good. It was all there. I didn't get to ad lib any lines besides maybe that spit. And you were talking about Nia Peoples earlier, John. How do you think that she changed the course of that movie? Because obviously she wasn't cast at first. She later came back in and was brought into the movie. How much did she change the trajectory of that movie? Yeah, we'll never know, right? But casting is so yeah. important. You know, it's just so important and for films. And that movie, you know, it, when there's a confluence of events, you know, for a movie to become a cult movie, there has to be a confluence of events of all these pieces coming together in a beautiful, accident and you know a beautiful sure. accident it's like oh my god that's gold you know like and that happened with her participation and yeah she's just amazing and i can't i just love her and i love her for that she became every surfer's fantasy you know and she still is yeah. it's amazing when's the last time you talked to her i see her you know out of point doom she's you know surfs and I see her at, we, we do these, uh, cast kind of like screenings of North Shore, re, you know, at surf events for people, reunions and things. And I get to see her then. I used to see her out in the water at Point Doom all the time. I don't see her as much anymore. I love her. I get to see yeah. her a lot because she lives in LA, but I used to see her all the time, like every weekend. It was pretty cool. John, do you get it when I say, yeah, no, Chandler wouldn't like that. Spit. Welcome to Pipeline. Here on the North Shore, we treat friends more better. Design me right out of the picture, Howley. John, do you get it? Do you understand it? <laughs> I don't think I do a hundred percent because I, I, you know, I, I don't know how to start thinking about that. But when you say that, I know that you're quoting lines. And in order to quote lines from a movie, you had to have studied it or seen it. It had to have made an impression on you. It, you must have had a personal, you know, experience with that film. And I am so, you know, grateful for that. But I don't know what to do with that. And I love it. I love it much more than, you know, it means it's very flattering that I was allowed to be a part of movies that touched people in any way because it's very rare. But as mm -hmm. the guy that said those things, it doesn't, you know, I, I'm just an actor that was in a movie 30 years ago. I got some. Someone wrote those lines. I said them, and now people are quoting them. And I, it doesn't. I don't think about it. I never walk around thinking about it. But I get it when someone's quoting those lines. Like, oh, you're quoting lines from a movie I did. I mean, I, I don't know what to make of it though. It doesn't. I don't. You know, I don't make anything out of it. But you're at least aware that there's this huge following out there of freaks like myself. <laughs> yes, I'm aware of it, but I don't. I'm not aware of how big it is because nobody. You know, it's very rare when someone says something like that. You know, I am a surfer, so I do get to experience someone going, "Dude, I'm a surfer, and that movie changed my life, and I want to thank you for it." That happens because I'm still a surfer. I love surfing, and that happens to me 
you know, and I'm, I'm really stoked about it, but I don't think about it. I, I can't go around sure. thinking, I don't ever think about it. I mean, cause there's, you know, there's other responses to that character. There's like, I'll be sitting on the side of the road, hitchhiking in the rain on the North shore of Oahu and a moked out truck will come by and intentionally hit a puddle to cuss, splash me with water and, and roll down the window and yell, nobody, because yeah. what nobody listened to turtle turned into. And, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll like something will happen on, on the world stage and surfing and I'll make a comment on a website about, uh, you know, a principles before personalities comment about a behavior of an athlete in the water during a contest and it yeah. would be critical and everyone will have a different, and people, some people that have different opinions won't discuss the facts. They'll just say, nobody listens to Turtle. <laughs> that is like what you had to say, what you have to say about this event is, you know, doesn't matter because you were in a movie that you became famous for saying this line about and we're taking the line seriously like dude you know that's you're famous for this line we're going to use it against you in this situation because you also happen to be an actor that was in a movie 30 yeah. years ago if i was more mature i wouldn't that stuff wouldn't bother me but right you know i am a human being first I'm a human being. Sure. So when someone uses my past or my work to try to diminish my presence, you know, right. it kind of hurts. There was a time when I really didn't know how to respond to people calling me turtle and quoting that line. I thought it was an insult. I thought yeah. they're insulting me. They're insulting me, right? That they're trying to they're trying to hurt my feelings and marginalize me because I I was in that movie, The North Shore, in 1987. Well, that's not the, you know, I, I needed a lot of help to understand what was going on. And I got that help from Gregory Harrison, actually, who was a okay. real, you know, full-time actor and a lot of other actors, too, had to explain to me, you know, how rare that is and not to be offended, but to be flattered. And that that's still hard for me because I don't think about myself that way. I can still be easily rattled. I wouldn't even, but now, I mean, I, I'm grateful. Now, you see, here's a weird thing about age. You asked about it. The yeah. things I used to resent, you know, the, t on my top 10 resentment lists of my life mm -hmm. are now things that I am grateful for. And that, if you're lucky, is, uh, you know, a rotation of the wheel in your life as you get older, especially if you're an artist. It's a great explanation. I don't know if you remember this or not, John, but uh, summer before last, my wife took surf lessons from you. And we're walking back from Malibu Lagoon, and we're talking about North Shore and just all kinds of different little odds and ends about the movie. Then we get to the parking lot. And I think I asked you something very similar and you just explained it. So I don't need to ask it again to you. But what I did ask you, and at the time you didn't elaborate on just because the conversation didn't go there. But I said to you, John, do you get it? Do you understand North Shore? And your answer back to me was, it took me a long time and I didn't for years, but I do now. And you had even elaborated that Matt struggled with a bit of that as well. Totally. Yes. And that is true. Both of us struggled with it. Matt more than me in, in his own way. But Matt has also come around and seen the love that ha that his participation, his good fortune of being able to participate in that movie has created mm -hmm. so much love around the world, around the entire universe yeah. for multiple families and generations in families. And he is had an opportunity to see that and to be grateful mm -hmm. now and not, you know, and to, and to understand that that's, that's a, a huge 
lucky positive thing in the world, you know, that he's done for the world as a world reaction to something, even though he was just an actor trying to go to work that day and do the best he could that day with what he was given, the script he was given, the character, you know, the director, the situation, you're just trying to do your best. But that, you know, he felt that was a hard, that was a hard experience for him. And he felt that that it, it, it didn't, you know, people's reaction to that character, he would take personally. And so would I sometimes, you know, like, it's a mistake to take people's reactions to your work personally, but it's very hard not to do for me and for a lot of people. You know, you don't, you'd rather be like than not like, oh, like, oh, these people hate you for the, for this. And you're like, well, I'm just the guy that was reading these, doing the best I can. No, they hate you. They hate you for yeah. this. They think you're a joke. They, you know, they, they wish you were dead. They're jealous or whatever, you know, all, all these negative things instead of just positive things like, yeah, we're just, we're just out there trying to do the best we can, make a living. And, you know, we're artists or, so you know, we want to be good. We don't want to be bad. We're not trying to make, you know, enemies in the world by working in movies, but sometimes you feel that way. Positive side is hard to internalize. I don't internalize the positive side, even though like you, this interview started that way. How do you internalize? Have you, have you internalized it? Do you get it? I get it much more now, but I don't, I'll never really know. Last question about North Shore. When's the last time you watched it from start to finish? No, I, I mean, I, even when it, do you know when I have to watch it? I mean, I went to Huntington beach and me right. and Gregory Harrison had to narrate it. That was our job that night. Usually we don't watch it from start to finish. If we're at the, one of these screenings, we do a Q and a afterwards, we get introduced before the film. People watch the film while they're watching the film. We're all talking to each other about life and stuff. And then we do a Q and a afterwards. If anyone has any questions or wants to know anything, but now, and this is my favorite thing. These people said, we're going to do a, a live, you, the actors are going to be narrating and people come up and ask questions during the film. So we have, we sat there and had to watch it with mics in our hands and talk about what was happening. And I like that mystery science theater. I love doing that. So that was this year somewhere mm -hmm. with Gregory Harrison in Huntington Beach. It was awesome. That's cool. I love yeah. it. Every time I see it, I see something <laughs> new. I, I, I just think it's amazing. It's one of those movies that there's so much going on and that's funny and yeah. it works. I lied. Last question. Did you keep anything from the set, no, from the movie? I got nothing. I don't have any. The board that you shaped, man, whatever became of that, any idea? Nope. I have no idea. It's probably in a, you know, big studio lot, you know, storage space somewhere back in the, back in the corner. We should make gotcha. copies of those boards and sell them you know just make a copy How cool would that of closest two and just find a turtle and sell it to anyone turtle turtles hero board there's money out there for you john there it is there, there you is. go man there's a way and people would buy it yeah i mean maybe they would i i don't know i i all i know is there's this company listen to turtle listen l-i-s-t-e-n and then to turtle which which does yep. sell products that they've recreated from the movie they're fans of the film and they make cool shit dude and I think brother made some real a really cool shirt that got got all around the world. I like to repost anytime some American soldiers in Afghanistan or Iraq working a tank brigade with a North yeah. Shore shirt on. I'm like, awesome. Yeah, he recreated the T-shirt that Rick Kane came up with as the logo. So my brother recreated that T-shirt, and yeah, they're they're out there. I am familiar with the listen to Turtle, and yeah, John, that is some cool stuff. Do you get any sort of cut from that? Oh no, I don't. That's not my business. Uh, that's their business. Okay. There, I yeah. love that they're doing it, but I don't own that character. I don't have you know rights. I don't. I don't do my own thing. I just think it's one of those sidebars that I don't 
that I'm like, oh, look how look, they're doing this thing. And that was, you know, there's a picture of me from a movie I did. But I don't have any proprietary yeah. interest in that's their that's their own thing. I like the koozies that they sell that say Alex get me a beer. Yeah. It's pretty good. They're funny and they're cool and they just they truly love that eighties film, you know, and their fans do too. All right, man. So let's fast forward a bit. In nineteen ninety you appear in the T V series Young Writers. Then in nineteen ninety one you play a gangster uh in Dillinger, which starred Mark Harmon. And also in nineteen ninety one, you land the role of Nathaniel in point break. What was that audition process like? Yeah, I auditioned for it when it was called Riders on the Storm at a different studio with a different director, and I got it. I got a part, the same part, and I was like, I'm going to do this coolest second surf movie, and it's going to be awesome. And then the studio changed ownership, and the, the script went into turnaround, and, and I lost it. You know, the, It's gone. And then my agent said, hey, they, they sold it to a different studio with a different director and they want you to come back in. And I'm like, oh, I want to do this. And they're like, no, they want you to play the same part. Anyway, yeah, no, that was a, that was amazing. I'd worked with Patrick. I got to play a surfer. I got to go back to the North Shore of Oahu because we filmed all the surfing on the North Shore of Oahu. I got to work with the same people out in the water, some of the diff, you know, some different people, but you know, just amazing people out in the water. I got to surf pipeline with blockers, you know, with water patrol guys, yeah. you know, and I got to rob banks, which I'd been practicing in Dillinger. After I did Dillinger, I went right into point break because after okay. turnaround. around. So, and they'd re renamed okay. it and rewritten the script, but this, my part was still just enough, interesting enough. You know, I got paid more money than I'd ever been paid before. It was like, mm -hmm. wow, this is, this is it. But you know, I was kind of, a dry, angry drunk at the time, but it's okay. It worked for the part. I was, I was playing a very angry criminal. Did you know Patrick and Keanu prior to that? Well, I didn't know. I knew Patrick because we'd worked on a movie together. So we became, you know, inseparable and talking every night. We talked every day. He was very generous and wonderful man. I love him. And, you know, I've been friends with him ever since, but he, and always will be in my heart, but, uh, I didn't know Keanu Reeves till I did that movie. And he was, turns out, blew my mind. I mean, he was like the smart, he's the smartest guy in any room he walks into, but he'd never let you know it. And as it turned, and thank God his career's, you know, when, when a guy like that goes on to have a career like that, he, they show you who they are. And he's, you know, yeah. so generous and he's just, just a special person. How close did you guys remain after the movie? And did you attend his funeral? Tight. I did not. I was working at the time. All my friends went, you know, Bo, Jess, all the other people I was invited. I, they wanted me to be there, but, you know, I couldn't attend. At the end of Point Break, it's my understanding that that scene is actually a reshoot that took place in Oregon. Did you have anything to do with that? Yeah, I mean, I had nothing to do with that. But, I mean, after Point Break, we finished – I we touched on this in, in about North Shore and the wig and I cut my hair off. Yeah. When we finished Point Break, everybody goes their separate ways. Patrick and Keanu both went their separate ways and did different movies. In Patrick's case, he went and did a movie and cut his long surfer hair off. In Keanu's place, he went and did a movie and grew his hair long. And when they okay. came back, Patrick, one of the movies Patrick did before Point Break, which was called Ghost, had came out and been successful. And when you're right. successful, in, when a movie hits, the actors in it get expensive. You know, they're, sure. they become, he became an international movie star again for, I think, the third time in his career. You had to pay so much money to have him, to film him in a character. And he cost a fortune for the, for that, you know, those days they worked. And Keanu had, and it was so beautiful because Patrick had short hair from his last, you know, movie he did. And then Keanu had long hair. That's a reshoot that cost a fortune, but it was very worth it. I love that last scene in that movie is, 
epic. Guys like that, John, like Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves, when they're reshooting that, what do you think their day rate is? I mean, I, I don't really know. Patrick's is probably $600,000 a day, I'm going to guess, maybe more. You know, nowadays, Keanu's, you know, if he's not working for a friend or doing someone a favor, you can't pay him enough to be in a movie. He can, you know, he, he certainly doesn't need any more money, but, right. but you know, I don't know. Million. Wow. $10 million. What's it worth? I mean, it depends on what he's doing it for. You know, yeah. if he's doing it for the money. You know, you, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm just kind of out of the loop in that whole thing. But back in, back in the late nineties, I think, you know, it was easily $600,000 a day. Wow. And the studio is kind of tied, right? I mean, they got to reshoot it. Uh, yeah. No, they wow. they want the shot. You know, they have to, they have, people have to make a calculation. How good is the material we have and how much will we improve it with this expenditure? You know, post-production is so expensive and they really take a look at what they've, they, what they've got and if it's got potential. And I think people were really smart in seeing Catherine Bigelow as a visionary director, you know, and someone who was able to change the world with her work and, and with her eye, you know, since then she's gone on to make Academy Awards and, you know, obviously those, those actors she chose and, you know, put together were, became huge international movie stars. And, you know, she had something going for her that they were like, what do you need? Yeah. What can we do for, how can we get you to, to finish this? Cause you're in, you've really done something special and she did. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, $600,000 a day. Wow. I mean, that's way back then. That would be like a couple million now. Ghost comes out. And makes so much money that the people in it can then ask for quite a bit more money. And yeah. That's what happened. Was Point Break shot in the Malibu area? Yeah, we shot it all in Malibu and LA, right of LA, all the bank robbing and the, you know, whatever stuff. And we skydived yeah. and did some stuff on location. And then we went to Hawaii to shoot all the surfing scenes. Yeah, man. Not a bad gig to fly to Hawaii to shoot surf scenes, especially for someone like yourself who's a surfer. That had to be a killer experience. All right, so now to the present. Tell me about Undateable John. Hey, Undateable John. I trained my whole life for that movie. So I'm like hanging out. I hadn't worked in like 10 years or something. I'm just teaching surfing, as you know, just full-time teaching surfing, which I love. And it's giving right. me a second career. When things stop, you know, when I stopped getting the parts I needed as an, act, as an actor, I didn't have any other skills. I didn't know how to do anything, you know, but be an actor. So I yeah. had to work. So I, I started teaching surfing, which is the only thing I knew. And I learned how to teach surfing and I, I really became, you know, pretty good at it and I really enjoyed it and it gave me a second career. So now I'm just retired from acting. I've, you know, I'm on a, a pension, a piddling little pension from the eight, from all that work we just discussed. And I'm teaching mm -hmm. surfing and someone goes, Hey, you're like, you seem like you're pretty healthy right now. You've rotated into a good thing. Are you still acting? I go, I would love to act. I dream about acting. Acting's my, I love acting. I would do it for, you know, definitely would love to do that. She goes, well, I'm going to make a short film about dating in AA, you know, how dangerous it is in the first year when you're getting sober. And would you be willing to be in it? I said, I would love to. That sounds like fun. So I do this little you know, we, we, we do some reading and I'm kind of digging this little project. Sin, Sin Posner's this really creative, talented, smart, you know, writer. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do whatever. I won't play this character that it, you're writing it about because I know him. Alcoholics Anonymous is an anonymous program. So no one who's involved in it can really talk about themselves or someone else in it. You know, we, she said, well, can we make him more like you? And I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be fun. You know, it's still a script though. So we, we're writing script and we're, you know, and I go away for a while. I come back. She goes, okay, we're going to shoot it. 
I'm like, oh, really? She goes, yeah, we've got Daryl Hannah and Estella Warren and Tom Arnold and Joan Jett. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you want me for? What, what? She goes, you're the guy. You're, you're, you know, you, you help me, you know, come up with this. You're, 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 you're playing this character. This is your part, you know, and I had so much fun doing it. I, I don't know so much fun because making a small film like that is really hard, but I loved working with Sin on this movie and I'm so proud of it. I'm so glad it came out. I mean, to be able to, and for me, just, you know, I hadn't worked in 10 years and I'm the lead in this movie with some really good actors and I just had a blast. I love the work and there's some, you know, for me, there's some really, really funny things in it, you know, which blows me away that she got a feature film made based on this material and got it got it out there. So anyone can see it on Prime, Amazon Prime or on YouTube, Undateable John. And it's a cautionary tale about the 13th yeah, step. I've seen it, John. Did you like it? I did. I thought it was funny. And what was really funny to me was to see, of all people, John, Russell Simmons. Yeah, Sin had the ability to get people interested in doing this little film. Sin Posner, I know. There's Russell Simmons. So anyway, yeah. yeah, I did that movie, and then someone asked me for the same reason. Hey, will you be in this little movie called Ghost Babe and play this Italian real estate agent who's kind of maybe a gangster? And I'm like, of course I will. And so I did this movie called Ghost Babe, and, and we filmed it in Ohio, and it's but it's supposed to be Malibu, and, and you know. And I just love the guys who made it, and it was really fun for me. You know, it's kind of way over the top, crazy, um, funny movie and if it's you know if it, i hope that i'm looking forward to seeing that and then i did a small part in a, a, a really critically acclaimed very serious beautiful film called white wolves that's done so well in the in the theater i mean in the uh, the festival circuit so for uh, you know i'm retired and i'm teaching surfing and all of a sudden now i've got as an actor i've never had three movies come out at the same time so i've got three movies coming out in the space of a year and very few actors can say that. So I've had, since my house burned down in Malibu, I've had the best year of my life. I love my life right now. It's really, it's really been a wonderful journey. I'm really grateful for it. Really great to hear, John. Very happy for you, man. By the way, when does Ghost Babe come out? I don't know, right? The trailer's just dropped. So you can go online and see the trailer for Ghost Babe. And I don't know when it comes out as a film, but you know, I don't know on what digital distribution platform it'll come out either because I'm just an actor for hiring it. But I really love the guys that made it and I look forward to seeing it. Me too, man. Ghost Babe coming soon. Be on the lookout for it. Also, make sure you head over to Amazon and check out Undateable John. Very funny movie. John, any websites or social media platforms you want to mention? My website for surf instruction is prosurfinstruction.com. Actually, you can tell them how to get a hold of me because your beautiful wife took a couple lessons and was amazing. And I'm kind of, I follow her. I'm kind of a fan. So you guys have, you guys have been very kind to me, but I don't want to, I don't want to blow your cover. <laughs> it's all good, man. I appreciate the kind words and Siobhan will certainly be excited to know that you're a fan of hers. I know the feeling is mutual. You just gave the web address, but I can do it again. Actually, I can take it a step further. How about this? If you're in Southern California and you want to learn how to surf, head up John at the web address he just gave, prosurfinstruction.com. I've taken lessons from him. My brother has taken lessons from him. My wife has obviously taken lessons from him. It's a blast. John's a great instructor. And let's be honest, it's pretty cool to say you took surf lessons from Turtle. Instagram is John Philbin underscore. Facebook is John Philbin. John, thanks for coming on Being Famous Podcast. I appreciate your time and all the great stories you had to share. Next time I'm in SoCal, man, shrimp and fries at Neptune's Net in Malibu are on me. Best of luck to you the rest of the way, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Cliff Helner. This was fun. I can't wait to hear it.